Welcome everyone and thank you for tuning in to the Athletic Perspective Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Jorgensen, and this is the first official episode of the podcast. And today I'm joined by my colleague, Dr. Fergal O'Hagan, as well as a close friend and former teammate, Mohammed or Mo Yusuf. Today, we're going to talk about the development of mental skills with athletes, specifically the Mindfulness Acceptance Commitment Program that Fergal uses in his role as mental skills coach with the Trent University men's rugby team. This program was developed by psychologists Frank Gardner and Zella Moore and is outlined in their book entitled The Psychology of Enhancing Human Performance. Mohammed joins us as a former captain and graduate of Trent University and the men's rugby program to share his personal experience participating in this program with Fergal, as well as his thoughts on the utility of developing the mental side of an athlete's performance. So give it up for Fergal and Mo, and let's get the show started. want to start tell us a little bit about who you are and, and, and what your role is sure so as you mentioned I'm the mental skills coach for the Trent men's rugby team and I have background in in rugby myself uh, having played senior men's at a competitive level uh, and taken an interest in my own performance as it relates to my my various mental states I was invited to get on board as a mental skills coach by the previous coach, uh, David McCulley, who was, you know, David always took a very holistic view to athlete development and saw mental skills as being a very important part of that. And I jumped at the chance. And so uh, four years later, I'm still involved and doing, doing the mental skills with the, uh, with the guys, um, group work, uh, individual work really enjoy it I guess why why do I do it well you know my bag really is about uh, helping people develop their potential in whatever circumstance they find themselves in and so uh, mental skills in in sport and in rugby fit right right into that and I just you know as as an old warrior rugby player I just like hanging with the guys and you know kind of living vicariously through them what about yourself, Mohammed? I'm a recent Trent graduate. I finished my honors uh, arts degree here in psychology. I um, also was able to complete my uh, thesis with Professor Fergal and uh, Professor Navarra. As Fergal mentioned, he was able to do the mental skills training with Trent Men's Rugby, and uh, I was able to do that with him throughout my full four years at Trent. He was able to really help us with doing our mental skills before and after training and figure out how we're going to be different as a team in the incoming year compared to other teams and what we've been doing. And then I also did, like I said, I did research with Navarra and Fergal and we were able to look at how um, self-esteem, affect, and self-confidence changes throughout an athlete's um, experiences with uh, with sport and specifically looking at in-season compared to out-of-season. So that was something really interesting I got to do in my senior year. I would say rugby has helped develop my mental side because I've kind of learned how to use my metacognition to my advantage. Uh, just the idea of thinking about your thinking and thinking about your emotions and why you're feeling these emotions. And just, you know, during our mental skills training, we're able to have discussion and open forum with the guys where you might not be able to talk about certain things in certain platforms, but whenever we have our MST sessions during, uh, during training camp or during season, we're able to, you know, discuss things such as okay what's the difference between you know panic versus uh, urgency and how does it feel when you're down or how does it feel when guys are acting in a certain way so it just made you give you that much more of an edge going into a game because then you can be thinking about things before games and thinking about things during games while you're performing so that you can perform for the best of your abilities and I just think that was one real big asset that I've had going into rugby especially doing trend men's rugby that has made me a better rugby player because I have that little extra niche in my belt of the mental side of the game compared to you know the physical and the endurance-based side of it. 
you've played a pretty high level of rugby beyond beyond Trent too. Do you want to speak a little bit about it? you're you're just like Mr. Sports right now. You have your this is Ontario Blue shirt on and U19 because uh, we're in Peterborough right now at Trent University. So the U19 World Lacrosse Championship is is going on right now. So yeah, you wanna just chat about that a bit. Yeah. Uh, so right now I'm in, I just finished my summer semester at Queens. I'll uh, be a teacher's candidate. Um, so when I came back, I got emailed by the department at Trent to do um, this cool opportunity where I could be on the news panel for the U19 Women's Lacrosse World Championships. And it's just been amazing getting to getting the chance to really, because my main job title is part of the news bureau, is just going out and talking to athletes and kind of having a main focus for the day and kind of just uh, producing articles based on what focus that we have in, the, in a given day. So. Uh, for example, one of the days was we had a game that we featured, which was the Haudenosaunee, which is our Six Nations between Canada and the U.S. Girls came from all over to uh, comprise in the Haudenosaunee team, who haven't participated in the tournament for the past 20 years, so this is their first time back, uh, against a Belgium side who was having their first time in the tournament. So it's just cool getting the chance to talk to all these sorts of different athletes. Like if I look in my notes right now on my phone and I look at my voice notes, I'll have quotes from players from Kenya um, Australia, Japan, New Zealand. So it's just a great opportunity to work with so many international athletes. And as Jorgensen mentioned, I've been blessed with the opportunity to play with a lot of different clubs. And um, it's just the idea that, like, like this opportunity, I just love to find different opportunities to, you know, put myself out there. Whether it's, you know, driving two hours to go to practice in Burlington to try and make a Blues team or, you know, giving up uh, long day weekends or giving up Canada weekends so that I can go to Montreal or go to Syracuse to participate in certain activities that will just put myself out there. And in doing so in the past couple of years, I've given myself the opportunity to grow and also just have my name out there in the world of rugby just because I wasn't able to do so as a young person growing up playing age grade rugby. So now that I have the means and the travel necessities to, you know, put myself out there, I'm trying to, you know, give every opportunity to put myself in the best situation to be the best rugby player that I can be. Just and just to clarify for the listeners who, who might not know, the, the Ontario Blues, that's the provincial senior men's uh, rugby team. Uh, which Mo has been involved with in the past. So like I said, today uh, the main focus is talking about mental skills and I just wanted to break down some of the conversation around uh, mental skills and, and just start by addressing common myths or, or misperceptions that, that athletes and coaches and parents and, and even fans and beyond that have around what mental skills are, uh, how they're applied and what value that athletes get from them. For example, one that I heard just the other day was mental skills are only for high-performance athletes, but you don't have to be a highly competitive athlete to, to find benefit in, in a little bit of self-reflection. So I w- I'm going to put that out there. Any common myths or mis- misperceptions you guys want to address? Well, one of the things that I often lead an, in, an introductory s- uh, session in mental skills with is a slide of... Um, there used to be, this, there's this guy named Yuri Geller who claimed that he could bend spoons with his mind. And so I, I have an image on the slide of a spoon bending and it's not that, okay? And nor is it, I have another image of a guy sitting in a lotus position levitating and it's not that, right? We're not bending spoons, we're not floating in the air. What we're doing is come, coming to understand ourselves better as performers, I think, becoming more self-aware and, and improving our ability to be present in the moment and to you know, go forward and perform in spite of the challenges that our competitive environment poses and our, you know, our internal experiences because those are the things that often get in the way. And those are the things that we talk about when we talk about, you know, mental skills and the mental side of performance, you know, it, it, inside of that, implicit in that is the idea that our thoughts and our feelings are acting on us to either better how we're performing or as obstacles to performance. So mental skills are not some kind of supernatural developing some kind of supernatural ability to overcome barriers in performance. They're really, they're about our own human experience and and really ways to enable our focus and our ability to be present. 
Do you find that, Mo, when Fergal first introduced the mental <clears throat> skills piece, that you, you knew exactly what he would be working on, or that it was just mental skills was just this, you know, this concept that, that you didn't really have an idea of exactly what it was? Yeah, um, so when we were first coming in in first year and I first understood the idea of like MST, I kind of looked at the schedule and I saw all these MST sessions and I was like, what's that? And one of the upper peer players was like, well, that's our mental skills with Virgil. And I was coming in thinking, be like, I, this is a lot, like, I feel like as much as we devote to like our physical component of the game, I was just like, we should be working on a lot more, like throw in some like extra weightlifting sessions or like that when I was, that my throughouts when I was first coming in. But then as I began to progress through every year, I learned how pinnacle of a part it was to actually playing at a high performance and to be able to like being the best player that you could be. And at first I wasn't, I guess the mental skills of like athleticism really didn't click into me when I was going through high school. Right. And as I came into university and you know, start to, I think taking psych also helped because a lot of the concepts that Fergal would bring right, to me, sure. I would be learning in things like my intro to learning classes or like behavior modification with you or even in my earlier years. So it's like, you hear these concepts in the, the classroom and you start to learn about them and you're like, oh, okay, that's like, kind of like a cool thing to learn about human behavior but then you actually implement it into something that you really care about such as rugby for me and as the years progress it's can begin to click with me more about like how important it was to actually like delve into the idea of mindfulness and like just understanding like a lot of it was like operationalizations of okay you want to be cut you want to be faster what are you going to do to like actually go out and do that those small little minute things that you don't really think about when you're putting goals towards yourselves that's an example of what mental skills helped me do that helped me improve my side of rugby so i think it was just a mixture of not only growing in maturity with respect to like the different facets of what one person has to do to improve their game right. but it's also just the idea that mental skills isn't something that you have to do just like once a week and you're done with it something you do all week and then when we would have our mst meetings it would be okay what have you guys done this week that we can now talk about so that we can put you in a better position going forward in the following week you know and that's something that i've heard a lot from other athletes and, and even coaches too is the initial buy-in is is sometimes tough because i don't think necessarily that the athletes see the value if they haven't been doing that before or implementing that into you know their training uh, and so i could you know as you know especially as a university athlete uh, with all the other stuff that, that you guys have on your plates, just to think like, here's another session, here's another thing just added to this already immense pile. Right. Or Maybe just along, along those lines, Mike, like when I'm talking to, working with the guys, like I'll, I'll, I'll put it out to them. Could you imagine yourself at the starting line of a 26 mile, 42 kilometer marathon, not having done any training? And going and run that, going and run that race, right? Okay, so let's let's look at people's mental skills. The, the same idea applies when you know you go out there and you just you're you're not having a good day, and let's say your focus isn't there, and you tell yourself, oh well, I just need to switch on, I just need to focus, not having taken any time to practice those skills prior to that. Mm -hmm. Like there's, there's this assumption that somehow our bodies and minds work different from each other when they don't. It's the same process of skill development and practice that goes into developing yourself as an athlete uh, physically uh, as it does mentally, right? And so I think that's kind of what Mo, Mo was speaking to there yeah. in terms of uh, applying them. And, it, you know, one of the sticking points that I see is uh, you're trying to put, you know, in a, in a certain way, you're trying to put an old head on a young body, right? And impart wisdom. But yeah, you know, you try to impart some wisdom, and um, the thing is, with with the athletes, they're some, you know, they're not necessarily in a developmental space where they can onboard that right away. You know, sometimes they have to see it in action, he maybe hear it from the older guys. Uh, maybe practice actually take some time to experiment and practice themselves with it um, before they can can get on board with it and the other thing that's really important is having uh, a you know a culture that's focused on growth and and growth mindsets within the athletes and the head coach in particular being on board with the mental skill side of things mm -hmm. um, 
Yeah, I see that that growth mindset as being such a such a pivotal piece because if you don't have buy-in from from all levels, it, it, it wouldn't really work. And I like that analogy of the the old head on the young body. It's, it's with mental skills. That's something you know you, you need to do it. It has to. You don't get better by reading it from a book. It's something that has to be. You know, your, your mental skills have to be flexed, have to be worked, have to be practiced. You've given us a few examples of, of things things that you, you talk about with the athletes. Why, why don't you take us through uh, just briefly what the program that you're, you're running with them is, uh, sort of as you present it to athletes. So this is the, the mindfulness, acceptance, commitment approach. Yeah, so I guess um, I didn't start with this, just the story at a bit. Uh, I started with, you know, your more conventional skill development in imagery, um, goal setting. But I really felt that there, there was a foundation of mental skills that was missing from that approach, that now, kind of pure skill approach. Now, do you find that was something that was sort of unique to the Trent team that you identified? And, and so you wanted to address it? Or is this just that level, that age of athlete? I think it's more of a general phenomenon, like like it's it's uh, it it gets back to the change, what I call the change agenda, that uh, has been developed over time, in through mainly through what's called cognitive behavioral therapy and and that stream of thinking where um, performance problems and you know mental health problems are looked at as a result of dysfunctional thinking patterns and, 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 and kind of a lack of personal direction. What that says is what we need to do is we need to change these dysfunctional thought patterns, set goals for ourselves, and get our heads into this idealized, as this optimum performance state. The problem with that is when you talk to athletes and whether they're performing poorly or, 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 or well, that that optimum performance state is a very elusive thing, right? Most of the time, we're performing, we're out there, we're preoccupied with, you know, either our last last play, last move, uh, last pass, didn't go well, you know, so God, I let guys down, what did I do next? Like, those are the kinds of things that, you know, that our, our experience is mostly comprised of. You know, not, not kind of a, a continual flow state when we're performing well. So then the question is, is that change agenda the actual way to go? Or do we change the function of those thoughts and feelings in terms of how they're impacting on our performance? Yeah, like I can think back and I'm sure Mo, you can relate to this too. It's just so many times of uh, just being in a bad headspace and, and not really knowing how to shake it and just uh, but not not even realizing it in the moment like in real time it just it is that's your experience that's just what's happening and then afterwards just thinking you know why why couldn't I have focused on this or why can I have brought myself back and you know and then it, it almost snowballs I'd say yeah because you're fighting essentially with your own experience at that point it, you know if if I show you a picture of uh, a pink horse on a screen and then ask you not to think about that thing, what are you naturally going to think about that thing? So if I'm saying to Mo, you know, hey, you know what, these thoughts that you have about your own inadequacies and the last, you know, that last scrum that got blew up and, and, and you just got, you got manhandled. Uh, just stop thinking about that. Yeah, yeah. And and so in in trying to blunt thoughts like that, those thoughts are the focus of what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So yeah. they're always going to be there. So that 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 I saw as problematic. And there's a lot of research on cognitive behavioral approaches to to changing health and performance that tell us that that doesn't work. And so I started to think about you know. No, we need we need to re, we need a program that's going to provide foundational skills to enable athletes to learn about themselves as performing as as performers and to be psychologically flexible. Because when we need that the the psych skills is when we're under stress, right? And that can be the short-term stress of a game situation, but it's also the grind of a season, like. How, how do I continue to motivate myself to practice, 
develop my skills, maintain this growth mindset, even in the, the face of, of disappointments and, and poor performances. Right. And, and so that brought me back actually to uh, approaches that I had used previously in rehabilitation uh, for clients who in the same way had problems with performance, mainly their work performance caused by pain or depre- depression or, or fatigue and these kinds of things. And essentially those experiences like the, the pain and fatigue and depression, they weren't going to leave, right? Couldn't sort of think their way out of it. But is there a way for the person to continue to act towards their valued things that they value in their life despite those things? And that approach works really well. So in transferring it to the situation with athletes, basically it's a matter of looking at, okay, so can we experience these things, these negative thoughts and emotions about ourselves and perform in spite of that? And that is really the focus of the MAC, the MAC program, the Mindfulness Acceptance and, and Commitment Program. Is that, so that's around, like building around the idea that, you know, change what you can change, don't worry or don't focus on the stuff that you can't change. Yeah, control the controllables, you know, don't worry so much about the rest. Mm -hmm. Like last year, for example, uh, we got off to uh, a bit of a bad start and we had a a session all around that. So it was like, you know, and and the basic uh, question was, can we determine, can we control the outcome of the game, ultimately? Do you remember that session at all, Mo? Or I'm trying to think back to it, yeah, and like when I remember it was like I remember like it was off the to the and three start that we had, and it was right before the RMC game that we were going to play, and I think like from what I can remember from what I got about that conversation, it was just the idea that guys were getting on themselves for things that they couldn't control. So like we can't like one of the things you mentioned was we can't control how much the other team prepares or for what the other team schemes, or for how the ref is going to call the game. But we can control things such as our work rate. We can control things about our clinical ability to perform, our preparation in going into that game, and our mindset in that game. So it's just the idea that guys are too focused on, you know, things that they couldn't control while they weren't focusing enough on the things that they could control, if I'm remembering properly. Yeah, pretty, like... You know, if, if we if we think, if we believe that we have this limited attention for the things in front of us, Mo, mm-hmm. guy's attention was focused a lot on the ref. Yeah. It's too hot out. It's this, it's that, and the other thing. And not on the great game plan that Tom and the other coaches had laid out right. for right. them, right? And so, you know, so we, t- we talked about that and tried to reestablish a focus on controllables, the things that we can manage. Um, and I think it, it, I think it carried forward then into uh, the RMC game last year and then on, you know, got some success there and, and, and the momentum sort of built from there. Yeah. yeah. So, so how does your program do that beyond just, just talking about it? How do you, you know, like what skills or what activities or, or, or things do you suggest that athletes do to help them with that? So there's, there's kind of, there's <clears throat> six processes that have activities related that to them to develop okay. that under underlies the program. And it's not, you know, it's not that we completely ignore skills, uh, you know, like imagery that, or that kind of thing, or, or that goal setting isn't a part of this, but it's sort of, it's, it's part of a larger package of, of uh, things that go into developing this idea of psychological fle- uh, flexibility. Could you just give a quick summary of what, Im- what you mean by imagery? Well, we have the capacity as, as humans to construct realities in our mind. And those, those realities form, are, come in the form of, of, of images, both visual images and, you know, I can ask you, for example, to image something. I can ask you to image uh, what it what it's, it's like to hunker down in preparation for a scrum. You play in the front row, play it, uh, in the pack, you can very well imagine that, and you can imagine it both from a first-person perspective in, what t- in terms of what you're seeing, but also a third-person perspective. You could image 
you you could you you know the game well enough that you could have an um, an image of yourself in proper body position uh, engaging and i mean you can to a, to a certain extent you can incorporate other sensations into that and so imagery is about uh, using our ability to create you know these multi-sensory images experiences in order to either you know develop skill um, motivation you can use it in rehab recovery a number of different ways Great. You know? and I mean we can talk a little bit. I'm not going to talk about that today we could talk no. about that a little bit more another time but those skills I think require a platform of psychological flexibility to use so there's sort of secondary or higher level activities that yep. you need to build build up towards yeah and for example imagery is very difficult if you're not able to focus yourself right if your mind is continually drifting off in this direction and that direction it's very hard to form coherent images and so therefore present time awareness is a fundamental skill and that's often referred to as mindfulness okay and and so one of the six is present time awareness and present time awareness or or mindfulness is the ability to be in the, the in the moment in a non-judgmental way. So do you think with mindfulness, do you feel cuz that like that's a term that I, I feel like gets thrown around a lot. Lately. Totally. Yeah. So this this real-time non-judgmental being within the moment just do you think that's how others perceive and understand that or is that just kind of a buzz term? Yeah, I think people sometimes they they, they take it as being, you know, sitting on a meditation cushion. Right. And that is, you know, you have to be quiet in on a meditation cushion with your, you know, your, your, your finger and your thumbs together, palms turned up. And that's what mindfulness is. Right. But you can be aware and in the present when you're brushing your teeth, uh, when you're making a meal. Consequently, you can be present and aware when you're going through the drill of throwing into, into a lineup, doing prep work for scrummaging. And to most effectively develop yourself, you have to, in a certain way, be an observer of, your, of yourself. And that's what present time awareness does. I just want to say like, on that, I think a big part of that is just like, I feel like as human beings, especially in this society, like we always are like either looking behind us or looking in front of us towards something we've done or what we're going to do. So like a perfect example is on a line out. So if I'm throwing a line out ball, I might not necessarily be too focused on getting it to the second jumper. I might be focused on the idea that, okay, after this, I have to go around and I have to hit up this, um, I have to hit up this ruck because only the 12 and the 13 are going to be in there and that's my job. Or I could be thinking about, man, I had a really, I missed a bad tackle before that line out going into it. So it's just the idea that like to be completely focused on the thing that you're doing is the idea that you can be in your optimal state while you're doing it. Because if you're have your mind somewhere else, while you're doing something of a different caliber, then that's when you start to like drift and that's when you start to like be out of that like optimal performance side being aware of what you're doing. This happens in real time. This can you can be mindful in stressful situations, in, in high, uh, in very intense situations, in fast paced situations. And I think that's something that a lot of, of people don't necessarily understand is that, you know, being being present doesn't necessarily mean there's not a little bit of uh, craziness to that present state. Absolutely, absolutely. Because I think, you know, one of the things that you wondered about is, is does taking a mindfulness approach to things mean that you're not aggressive, right? right? Um, that you're not leaning into it. And it's absolutely not that. And in fact, if you're, if, if you're aware in the present, you're going to be more in tune with how much you have to assert yourself in a contact situation, let's say, uh, in order to accomplish what you want to accomplish. And at the same time, you know, using controlled aggression in a way that isn't going to wear you out as a player or inflict injury on yourself. So mm. if, you're, if, you're, if you're aware and in, in present, it keeps you in that space. And I think what Mo was talking about is exactly right. Like, we're so often consumed with regret for our previous mistakes or trying to project into the future as to what I'm doing next. And that is, you know, the thing about that is, is that's an evolved capacity that humans have that is our natural state. In fact, in psychology, there's the, what's called the default mode network, which is a system in the brain that allows us to do that kind of thing. And it's very valuable because it allows us to plan 
into the future and also look back on mistakes in a way that we can carry forward and, and correct them. But the thing is, when you're thrown into that line out, you don't want that system working, right? You want to be right where you are then and letting your motor system do what it's trained to do in, in putting that ball in or taking that shot on a hockey rink or hitting that tennis ball, right? You don't want to be in the midst of that trying to look back and, and, and look at what you've done wrong and correct it in that instant. So present time awareness is really important. Acceptance is another foundational skill and, or a foundational process and acceptance is really about in that present time awareness, you're gonna experience th- things that are negative, okay? Like negative thoughts. Negative or... thoughts. You're gonna be an- feeling anxious, uh, you know, anxiety is uh, a form of activation in the body and it's biological it's psychological as well it's getting you ready to deal with some form of threat or challenge depending upon how you frame it right and so acceptance is is really about letting that happen and not placing judgment on it one way or another just accepting your experience not trying to avoid it evade it in fact in pure acceptance I, I like to encourage athletes to develop a curiosity about their anxiety, you know? As in, why am I feeling not, this? Not, no, or... just, geez, this is interesting. So my, my gut's turning here. And what else do I feel in right. this instance, right? Um, not necessarily trying to explain it, but being really, getting really in touch with the phenomenon. Because if I ask you to repeat a word that has a certain meaning for you, you know, good or bad or whatever. And I ask you to repeat it again and again and again and again and again. Try it yourself. But soon you'll find that it's just, it's lost its meaning as you engage with it. Just being used to it being present? Just, yeah, it's just being used to it being, being present. And so um, acceptance is a way that athletes can come to accept these negative experiences that are going to be, <laughs> you know, it's not, as I said, it's not flow experience that's the main thing that's going on. It's anxiety, right? It's, it's you know, am I, am I going to perform well here? And um, so coming to accept that, and that's, found, that's, a, that's a process that's foundational to performance. And I think that, that's so important to acknowledge because you might think that your anxiety in that situation or negative cognitions around you know, a mistake you made or something like that are you know, all-encompassing or, or unique to your lived experience, but they're not, right? Every other yeah. athlete has gone through exactly the same thing that you are. And I, I think that's one, one area that mindfulness acceptance commitment approach that you're taking really works well. Yeah. Maybe I'll move on. Move on to values, values-based action. So another foundational component is is identifying what we value, what we value, and then subsequently, so why are we engaged in what we're engaged in? And that's where we get into the idea of sport and involvement in sport as a vehicle for personal growth, and trying to get the athletes to think a little bit more deep deeply about what it is that they value in their sporting experience because that will carry them forward through difficult times and enable them to maintain their focus and their intensity and training and so right. on and so forth so that's values values based action Mo, did you have any input on that are there particular values that guide those behaviors i think one big one is like respect for the game and respect for like your opponent but also like respect for yourself so i think part of like being captain last year that kind of like was brought out a lot because I was always kind of had my mind all over the place when I was like playing and even when I had my exit interview with my coaches like one thing I noticed was like even though per se my numbers were better as like going forward this year I knew I wasn't the same player that I was last year being like in my third year just saying okay Mo just go for it you have no captain responsibilities you can be a leader but like you have really no responsibilities going forward just go out and be a beast go play and I kind of had like a different mindset. I know I kind of like trailed off the question, but that was something I was thinking about. So it's just the idea that like having that different mindset when it came to like, okay, you're not just, you're not just a, like a four, three guy, like performing, you're also the captain of this team. So that's something you have to take into consideration when you're like dealing with guys on the team or you're dealing with the opponents or you're dealing with the ref or you're dealing with like um, people at the athletic center, like trying to figure out stuff for your game day management. So I think it was just like a general sense of like respect for others and like 
respect for myself kind of pushed me going forward. Like, one of the, like, things people know about me is, like, I'm very ambitious, so I, I love to, like, put myself forward and, like, to grab opportunities, so whether it be, like, learning opportunities for guys or, like, learning opportunities for myself, if I see something during practice that's not just holding on to it and, like, having just, like, that kind of elf in the room, it was just addressing it then and there and being like, okay, I respect you guys enough to let you know that this is not working and that you got like you're not working hard enough or like you're not pushing yourself as much as you can push yourself so i guess in a sense leading by example as well as that common level of like respect and just like seeing opportunities form whether it be through mistakes or like through like the good times right. just letting guys know to be like okay we can be a better team because of this mistake we can be a better team even after this win like we still left stuff out there on the field like we still um weren't all we could be during that drill or where like we were running that r line wrong it was just kind of like i think the general sense of like respect helped push me play yeah i think that's a good point that you bring up that transition from from your third year play to your fourth year and how your values they're they're it's still you know they're still there but they 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 fluctuated maybe yeah. a little bit uh just as your role changed and i think that's something that's interesting too is as players roles change as they transition to different teams or have different roles within the same team like that leadership role where your values were were maybe more more internal focused but you couldn't be that internal focused as a leader you had to have those external considerations too exactly and it'd be the difference of like last year something goes wrong during like not very last year going into third year something goes during wrong during practice i could give my opinion but it wasn't like the be all end all like i would either listen to like what Jordan or um, what Will were talking about and like how things would go through there. But if something went wrong in practice or something went wrong in a game this year, people would look at me and that kind of, you know, that was just, it was different. I learned that like the very first practice when I came back from, um, from my uh, Blues campaign, I was just like, okay, this isn't me just like, you know, going out there and being a performer. This is also people looking to me to be a leader and that changed my mm -hmm. values going in being like, okay, this isn't third year or like from any, you're not just going out there as a player, you're going out there as, the predominant leader so right. i think that like being in that different situation put me in a different mindset and changed my values because of it mm -hmm. yeah. even though like i mean change your values it's still mm -hmm. like you said based around that that foundation of mm -hmm. respect yeah it was respect for yourself and and your ambition that mm -hmm. you you recognize that you have to respect for for the team the club the culture and, and, right. and otherwise i think in a sense it's kind of like I, I, you're right it didn't change it I think it put it in a different focus because yeah. I was very like I respect and ambition were big for me from one first year to third year but it wasn't for the things I would thought of, I thought about first and fourth year it would be the ambition to you know blow a guy up in a ruck or the ambition to like hit a line or stuff like that and I still had that going in the fourth year but it was also like okay what are we gonna like if there's a penalty on their five are we tapping going if that's my decision to make at this point um, we're in our like we're on a scrum on their uh, on their twenty and we're beating we're beating Western but like we're thinking about okay hey guys what do we want to do here I'm like let's push them let's take this scrum and go forward just having that ability to have those decisions put on me then put me in a different mindset when I was going forward so like you're right like the respect and ambition was still there but it was put to a different use I feel yeah you know what I mean picture kind of yeah kinda bigger stuff. picture type stuff less about my individual play and more about the team play yeah. So, for getting back to the, the values, did you want to... Well, on? just picking up what, what Mo was saying there, I think a basic value that's being expressed is that of service. Mm -hmm. And for you, uh, how that value was, was expressed changed from one year to the, to the next, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think you might have experienced the same thing, Mike, with, with your uh, time with the, the Trent men's team as well, in that... You're, uh, you went from you know pretty predominant leadership uh, role, and then in your last year coming back, you you took a more quiet kind of leadership position, I guess. Or, but yeah. you're but you're still operating in a way that was values based. So operating in a way that's values based, as opposed to purely kind of goal driven, instrumentally goal goal driven, allows you to be more flexible, right? It's like, okay, so what are my values? And in this instance, how can I best express them through my behavior? And in the second, so the, and the second thing is in, in the team environment, it's really important that we're all pulling in the same direction, right? If you go into things where we have clarified, clarified our values and express them and 
sort of brought them together into a shared vision, then it's much more likely that we're going to have cohesion among the group. So it's an individual thing, but it's also a thing that is going to enable the, the larger whole to function better. I think just going off that, I remember last year, I think the best example of that was during our Guelph game when we had, it was kind of like a goal and a value-based driven uh, game that we had because it was the idea that if we were to get a certain amount of tries to get a bonus point, then we would be we would have secured a position going into the playoffs. So, and I remember when Doug was talking to about it, talking to us about this, he's like, as much as winning this game would be a priority for us, the main priority is getting into the postseason and getting these four tries. And the idea that guys were so bought into that idea, okay, we're going to be driving our offense through the roof during this game, and that's going to be the main focus for us. That actually is what brought guys together to play in all different facets of their game. And I remember even going into halftime of that game for what most of the league thought was going to be a blowout game for Guelph, it, the score was like 21 to 25 for Guelph going into the half. And guys weren't just saying, okay, let's get these four points. Guys are saying, okay, let's try and win this game. So it's just that idea that like once you have that like botting goal and everyone's kind of like ready to go based on that, then they can elevate themselves saying that like, I guess we have nothing to lose. Not the sense, not in the sense that like the game isn't important, but it's just the sense that like guys are playing fearless rugby. That's something that you've recognized or identified uh, as an area of your game that has developed over you know the last few years. Right. Uh, from from your transition from high school to university, and now university to more post secondary education, and and working uh, playing with the Blues and so forth. Yeah. How would you motivate a teammate to engage in developing the mental side of their game, specifically around around mindfulness? Like how as, as a leader, was there anything, or as a captain, was there anything that you did that, that said, you know, just be in the present, enjoy the process, enjoy right now, or, or you know, how, how do you get other guys to buy in? I think one thing that I always told guys before games was like, and this was something that I was told in Blues by one of my coaches, it was the idea that be perfect at the things that don't require talent. Whether that meant like work rate, or whether that meant guys being aggressive, or that meant guys, you know, like, constantly being in a state of like awareness it's just the idea that like you there's a lot of like Fergal said there's a lot of things that you can't control the things that you can't control be perfect at that and I think a lot of that was me encouraging self-assessment for guys so one thing is it's it's so easy to judge others and and like based on information that you don't have and just you know saying like if that had been me in this situation like things may have been different or Whatnot. So I think it's a lot of self-assessment, and self-assessment can happen all like all the time. So it can be before games, during games, or after games. It's just the idea that like you're constantly in a state of like, okay, this is what's going on for me right now. What can I do to be better, or like, what did I do here that I can see myself improving on? Because a lot of the, a lot of times I think people look at pragmatics and say, well, this person is better than me in X, Y, and Z, and I'm just like, there's a good 20 more alphabets in that and there's a, you know what I mean there's like there's so many other things that you could look to that yeah, they may yeah. not be they may not outsource to be look at these other things you say this is what they're better at me then I'm like well there are so many other things that you could do that would make you a value to this team that's excellent insight well and it kind of gets at another point when it comes to psychological flexibility because uh, which which we call or I call self as context and what Mo was talking about there, so let's say uh, an athlete goes into a competitive situation and they have this idea of their abilities or you know their, their self and how it's expressed in that, that situation that's pretty rigid, right? Like I'm the best scrummager or I'm a really good uh, checker and that winds, winds up being disproven. If you have this really rigid idea about yourself, that's what we call a conceptualized self, then that's gonna have a lot of negative impact on you. But if you take the stance like Mo was suggesting here, where you know you be the best at the things that you can control, you're really adopting, uh, um, you're really stepping back from that and detaching from that whole idea of you know me as a label to more the idea of me as something that's like an entity that's in development, right? And and not that I'm being bettered and that's affecting my ego and causing me to feel really crappy about myself. And so that's another thing that we try and develop 
this idea of self as context, it's almost like you're kind of looking at yourself and your performance like you would a movie in a theater. But you're not getting so wrapped up in the movie that you don't see the person down in the front getting up and going out to get popcorn. And there's just a couple of other things in the framework. One that relates to this idea of the labeled self is, is, is a thing that we call diffusion. And basically the idea there is that like from the time we're very little, verbal behavior starts to exert a big, big influence on, our, our, on what we do. So, you know, you're a little kid and your mom or dad says, don't reach out and touch that stove, it might be hot. So what's being set up there is, is a rule that in this situation, in front of the stove, don't do this particular thing because it might result in a bad outcome for you. Your hand gets burnt, right? Kids take that on board and they might a, a kid might repeat that. Oh, don't touch stove, right? My hand gets burnt. But over time, you internalize that to the point where that verbal behavior goes inside. So we learn things like that, but it doesn't stop there because we're continually developing rules for ourselves in terms of how we behave. And the problem becomes is, is when our rules or our thoughts about ourselves become our reality at, rather than a product of our, our mind and our mental activities. Because the mind is there to think. It does it all the time, and it does it in a way that's you know, mainly good for us, but sometimes not so good for us. The problem is that we get entangled uh, with our thoughts to the point where they just become our reality. Uh, a player at practice, for example, who knocks a ball on or, or makes a bad pass or, or what have you, creates this idea about them, their performance like, oh, I'm just not on today. Right. Um, and so that becomes a rule for them for the rest of the session such that they don't get much out of it. Rather than taking a step back and saying, oh, that's an interesting thought. You know, what is that about? Why is that being produced, right? And so diffusion is a way that we use to um, separate ourselves from our thoughts so that they don't, don't become our reality. Um, and then the last thing is committed action, which really, that's where we start into goal setting and all of the practical things that we do to perform. And I guess that's all of the rest of these things, they were all work together to create this, this, this flexible athlete who can deal with stressful situations, be it in the moment, in uh, competitive situations, or over the course of a long campaign um, to maintain their, their, their focus. Yeah, because that's something, you know, we have, we see that so much in training for for sports is periodization and and focusing on you know building during this period or recovery you know all of that's focused around like physical periodization whereas you don't really hear about that in the mental capacity but to, to be mentally tuned in uh to that level at that level for you know across a full season it's it's draining and especially you know using using mohan as an example as, as, a, as a varsity athlete who also has you know, university expectations of and research and family and, and everything else that, that goes on, you know, that's that's such a critical critical piece is yeah. to consider. Because I like I reflecting back, I remember when our season would end, I would just close myself off for two weeks. Because I was just exhausted. Now you're just physically exhausted. Usually, you know, you get you get over that in a couple of days, but I just, you know, mentally exhausted. Yeah everything that you'd worked towards for the past 365 days until that moment where it just resets and now you're looking forward at yeah. the next that point next year yeah you know the concepts that you talk about with this program would develop an athlete who's able to to address that is able to you know live in that state where there is a little bit of chaos uh and and, and navigate that chaos effectively yeah i i think you know i didn't think of that Mike but I think that that's a great point is that you know these skills aren't confined to your performance as an athlete these skills are life skills right and when you like you say you hit the end of the season and what's next there's a big vacuum right like you're not playing you're not performing you're 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 not getting the positives back from that what happens then 
right? Yeah. How do you replace that? And people who have these qualities, um, for example, you get to the end of the season and you're kind of feeling draggy and, you know, a bit down, that kind of thing. I mean, if you have a perspective on things that allows you to accept those feelings, those feelings are not going to have such a negative impact on you, right? You're, you're going to be able to continue on with your studies and, and that sort of thing in spite of feeling those things. So thank you for, for going over the program and thank you, Mo. Uh, I want to just go give everybody a chance to just say some, some final thoughts. I, I'm going to take, take leave and go, go first on this because there's a story that I really want Fergal to share. And he's, he's told me this once or twice before. And it's about an activity that, or an activity that you, you pose to, to the trend athletes to take home with them. Uh, and you're talking about life skills and I think washing dishes. Washing dishes, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the dishwashing activity. Yeah. So, you know, each of the things that I talked about, um, present time awareness, acceptance of experience, values, commit, uh, committed action, diffusion, selfless context, each of those have things that we do to work on them. And to work on our present time awareness I get the guys to go home and wash a dish for five minutes. A single dish. A single dish. And what they have to do is first pick up the dish. They have to observe all the different qualities of the dish, right? And they have to pick up the washcloth and they have to start running the water. And they have to, at the same time, observe the qualities of the cloth and the water. They have to, and for some of these guys, this is a, this is a new experience perhaps. Right? right? Well, actually washing a dish. <laughs> um, and then they need to start washing the dish and they need to uh, observe and be aware of its smoothness, right? And all of the physical qualities of the dish. And what I tell the guys right from the get-go is that, and I ask them about this after they do it, does your mind wander? Well, of course it does. Does, do you start to think what a stupid thing this is that I'm doing? <laughs> of course you do. But that's your mind doing the things that the mind does. And part of the exercise is not just learning about the contours of the dish, dish. It's learning about the contours of your mind and the kind of way that your mind, the kinds of ways that your mind behaves. And so uh, we use that exercise to help develop present time awareness. So. Mo, when you went through and did that activity, I don't think Fergal's feelings are going to be hurt, but just honestly, <laughs> what was your what was your initial impression? Were you just thinking, what the heck is this guy making me do? It's just so that? much water. Oh, man. <laughs> I, think, I think the one thing that I want to do to like make it, I guess, it, I hate to, I guess a lot more worthwhile is I would get the dirtiest dish that I had in my house at the moment. I was like, okay, this is going to be my project. It was kind of, it kind of helped me learn the idea of present time awareness because like me I'm a big dishwasher in my family it's like a fair like being in a Somali household everyone kind of pitches in it's just like we East Africans it's like something we do so I kind of like start the dishes and then by the time I'm done I'm like oh my gosh I'm done it's like when you're like driving to work or driving somewhere familiar and you're just like you get in your car you get like and then by the time you like turn the engine off you're like oh I'm already on campus like I didn't really experience that whole thing so just the idea of like really like being aware of like the dish I was washing and like and all the other people will hear this and be like how does this like this sounds like such a mindless activity but really when you have to like when you're forced to pay attention and like you're actually forced to be in the present time washing this dish and for some of the guys they're probably just like they probably got like just a regular dish out of their cabinet but like for me it was like even when the dish I knew it was clean and I still had like two minutes left on the clock I was just like okay I know it's like, it's frustrating at the time, but it's just like, I acknowledge those feelings. I was like, I'm just going to keep powering through. And I think a lot of like, a lot of other things came in, like accept it's just the idea that like, okay, I'm feeling these feelings. I will accept them, but can I perform in spite of these feelings? So I think I kind of like drew everything together that Fergal was kind of going to like, cause it was one of the first activities we did. And then we started getting into right. things. So it was kind of like foreshadowing the idea of like, okay, when you were watching that dish, how did you feel? And it was, and the guys kind of talked about it afterwards, and we were having that collaborative discussion. And so it was just like a lot of frustration, a lot of aversive feelings. But the guys all learned the idea of like present time awareness and acceptance in that one activity, being like, okay, 
we're gonna get through these next five minutes, even though I'm only a minute in and I'm already frustrated with this. I'm gonna keep doing it, and I'm gonna get everyone clean out the clean dish. Well, so. that yeah, that's that's the benefit or why I like hearing about that activity so much because that just shows how much people look into the future. It's mm-hmm. what am I gonna do after the stupid dish is washed? Yeah, and and you know, you get frustrated, but imagine, you know, let's transfer that to the context of a game. Imagine you're a winger in rugby and you just haven't got the ball. You haven't Mm. got the ball all game and you're waiting and you're frustrated and you're upset, but what you're focusing on now is, is not your job to wait for that ball to come to you or to make the play or get in the position or whatever. It's your frustration that you haven't been able to, to engage in any of the play. And so, you know, even though it's, it's that you're waiting for the dish to be washed or waiting for, for the, you know, the ball. I think that those aversive feelings, that frustration, like that's something that translates so easily to a game content. Like everybody feels that at some point in a game, they're frustrated about something usually, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's when you start to become complacent. It's kind of like a learn helplessness thing, I think, at that point. That guy's saying, because I'm feeling this way, I have to act this way. I think that's where guys tend to like fall off because it's just the idea of like I am in this mood and there's nothing I can do about it in the sense that like I can't change my behavior but your behavior doesn't have to like like your mood doesn't really have to affect your behavior in a sense that you aren't performing to the best of your abilities right I think that's where that complacency comes Mm -hmm. from and guys start to like get down on themselves but then the mindfulness comes in and helps be like okay have this acceptance be in the present go out and actually commit to performing and if like and like you said eventually that that 11 will get the ball or eventually he will get that chip and chase or eventually he will find himself being used in the game it's just you know it's a team sport and people are like there are roles that certain people have to play right absolutely yeah i I think uh going back to the you know the, 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 the this kind of flow experience approach that points to the to a danger of that in that athletes, if they feel that the only way they can perform is when they get their mind into this kind of flow state, but what if it's not there? And it's not going to be there. So that really, for me, kind of puts a nail in, the, in that coffin. Makes this approach much more, you know, makes sense, right? I like the fact that you mentioned how, how imagery is, you know, it's kind of a, something you have to work up until because this program that, that you're running you know, when I, so it's based on, on a book. And when I went to look the book up on Amazon, it was 200 hits of other similar books with similar messages, but just different in different aspects. And I think that's right. what you're saying with, depending on what you need for your team, this, this approach or these, these concepts, I think work really well. And I think, like you said, they work well because they start from the bottom up. They start yeah. assuming that people aren't mindful on a regular basis or can't focus enough to develop those imagery skills. Yeah, yeah, because it is based on the work is is based on a book by Frank Gardner and Zella Moore called the Psych, uh, Psychology of Enhancing Human Performance, and it's a great book. It lays out you know the theory and a lot of the procedures for doing such a program. The challenge of uh, challenge of you know, implementing it, one of the things is just getting airtime. Like, in sport now, you know, things are, are so, there's such kind of a professional orientation towards athlete development now that a lot of time, so much time is spent on, on strategies, tactics, and skills, like physical skills, right? right? Given that amount of time focusing on those other areas, it really shrinks the time down for doing this kind of a program. So I'm still working out how it bests works out over a season schedule and that kind of thing one thing that you mentioned before before the the podcast before we were chatting about this was small bursts yeah you know one or two main points a little activity that they can take home yep short bursts yeah with the athletes yeah Yeah, for sure yeah and not not and not overloading them i think it's important to give them kind of an overall picture i'm really happy that you know, in the way Mo is expressing things here, it seems like you came away with something. Something like that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is which is very gratifying. Yeah. Right. Great. Um, so, any any final thoughts from Mohammed? I was just gonna say, like, to athletes who may be listening to this and thinking that like these are such novel concepts, like you, every athlete has done imagery at some point. 
and I know that for a fact because you know every athlete kind of has that montage the night before in their head of like how they're going to perform the next day or you know like the fantasy of like the perfect game that you have in your head and like you know you catching that touchdown pass or you you know like having that good finish in your race so I think it's just the idea that like we have these there is that kind of thirst for like the mental side of the game that players don't really see as attractive but they do parts of it without even being told to so I just think it's the idea that like if you're open towards um, mental skills training and the idea of like what mindfulness can bring to you and your game like you'll be surprised at how much it helps and I think a lot of teams were like starting to get on board with that and it was something novel that I heard about when I was at Triton my first year. I think a lot more people are starting to get on the bandwagon of the idea that like maybe there is something to this whole mental skills thing. I think it's just one thing for athletes, just like it may seem foreign, but go traveling, like go and out and do it because it's worthwhile. I like that. Earl? I think I'd, I'd wrap things up there. Yeah. It's good. Thanks for tuning in to this episode. If you liked what you heard, check out our website, athleticperspective.com. Again, that's athleticperspective, all one word, dot com. On our website, you'll see all the different platforms that our podcast is hosted on. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and follow us on social media. The links are on that website. That's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and we're constantly working to bring more content to you, so stay tuned.